Simple Pen Podcast, Pinterest for business advice that goes down smooth and easy. Here's your host, Kate All. Hey there, welcome to the Simple Pin Podcast. Today we're going to be talking about the most important metrics you need to pay attention to if you are a digital product seller. In this episode, I'm interviewing Gemma Bonham Garter, and we're going to be talking about email list growth and conversions. So we didn't plan on going too deep into all the nitty gritty. But Gemma gives us a great formula for figuring out what type of conversions and sales you need based on your email list size. So I want to say I am a big fan of email list growth, and I love using Pinterest for that reason. In fact, it's the number one reason I use Pinterest marketing for Simple Pin Media. And one of our main opt-ins and the ways we get people on our email list is our Simple Pin Pinterest Planner. And we wanted to go big with this opt-in. We wanted to give somebody something really, really powerful that could help their Pinterest marketing. It's 20 pages of monthly trends, stat tracking, checklist tips, and more. But it's not overwhelming. It's very digestible month by month, page by page. It will give you a plan for how to continue to move forward in your Pinterest marketing. In fact, this was one of the very first email opt-ins I created for Simple Pin Media because I wanted it to be so amazing that people would email me and say, Kate, I can't believe you are giving this away for free. And the first year I did it, that's exactly the type of emails that I get. So ever since the last five years, we have been giving away this Pinterest marketing planner. Some people take it to the office supply store. Some people get it bound. It's very fun to see how you're using it year over year. And we have updated it. Each year, it gets a complete overhaul, a complete update. And this is our fresh one for 2020. So if you want to get the planner, head to simplepinmedia.com slash planner. Also, we were linked to it into the blog post so you can see how it is we've created it. You can follow our path to an email, see what we do. In fact, I do this all the time. I sign up for people's offers because I want to see how they structure it. So in this episode, we're going to go deep into how to really focus on the right numbers when it comes to selling your products. If you want more information, go to simplepinmedia.com slash 189 to get all the details, the formula that Gemma talks about, and then links to the products that she talks about at the end. They're both free. So remember, go to simplepinmedia.com slash 189. And with that, let's bring Emma onto the show. Hey, Gemma, welcome to the Simple Pin Podcast. I am so jazzed to be here. Thanks for having me, Kate. You bet. So tell our listeners a little bit about you and what you do. Yeah. So I, my name is Gemma Bonham Carter and my business is GemmaBonhamCarter.com. Uh, and I help online entrepreneurs uh, create, launch and scale their digital products so that they can, you know, create a new revenue stream in their business so that they can start to earn some of that, you know, that passive income dream that everybody has. And ultimately just to build the, you know, the, continue to build their dream business so that they can have their dream lifestyle. Awesome. So I'm super curious. How did you land on this? What was your aha moment to say, I'm going to start this business? 
Well, I had been not to go like too far into the depths of like all my past entrepreneur ideas and everything, but I had been uh, a lifestyle and home decor blogger for many years. And I got, I started to be invited to ask to speak at conferences. And so I was speaking at these conferences and having all of these people in the audience ask me really great questions about, you know, how I had built up my blogging business, how I had started selling physical products as a blogger, like just lots of really great questions. And I came to realize that answering those questions in a conference was great. But if I could actually answer those questions for people in an online platform, I could reach so many more people. And so I launched my first ever course. It was called Create Your Blog Biz. (laughs) Back in the day, I did all the things wrong. It was like way too broad. I had no email list. Like, you know, I didn't follow any of the strategies that I now teach people to follow, but it was really like learn by doing. And it really opened the doors. Just, Just making those first, I made a couple thousand bucks from that course and it really opened my eyes to is not like like I struck it rich, but I it opened my eyes to the potential of both the income and the impact that would be possible through these kind of digital offers that are just so much easier to scale. Like you can reach so many more people because it's a one to many model as opposed to like a one to one service based model. Okay, so this is kind of an elementary question, but I think it's, you know, there's a lot of terms thrown around in our business, but how would you define, and I think you did it just a little bit here, but define that term digital product seller, what bucket, I guess, would you put them in? Yeah, so really, it's anybody who sells any kind of product that's delivered digitally. So I think probably most people are thinking about courses, right? We see a lot of online course creators in all kinds of different niches. And so I I see actually a lot of people just say uh, course creator when they're like talking to people who sell digital offers, but it can be more than courses. So we've seen a rise in people selling and running membership type programs. So um, that would be still considered a digital product instead of a course delivery. It's just delivered in a membership style. So where there are, you know, Sometimes there's like monthly coaching calls or there's monthly like strat uh, drops, you know, like of of new content or deliverables every month for the members. Like I'm part of one, for instance, that they do stock photography, right? And so every month I get new stock photos and that's a membership that I'm a part of. So that would be a digital product. And then anything that's like templates, downloadables, um, even you know, kind of like group coaching programs, things like that, all of those in my own definition of a digital product seller, those, it would fall under that. And so generally, what we see are service based entrepreneurs who realize that, you know, if they don't want to grow an agency, then they kind of tap out as to they hit the ceiling on how many clients they can take on. And so what I see is they then come to me and we think about, okay, well, how can we create some kind of digital offer so that you can you can serve more people and grow your income without necessarily selling just one-to-one services? Or it might be a coach or consultant or someone who's a creative. So it might be a blogger or somebody who's building, they've built an audience on Instagram around a certain topic and they want to start monetizing it with some sort of digital product. 
Mm, so many opportunities in there and I have so many, I have so many questions now. Okay. So in that, there's a lot of different, I guess, opportunities. And what I hear too, is that there's people going from one place to this. So in that switch for people, I find, and I'm sure you find is that it, there's the discombobulation of like, what numbers do I focus on? Like I've been focused on this here before, and now I'm going to a new product and I'm focusing here. And then it's also thrown in what the industry quote unquote tells us. So I'm wondering like, how do you help your people not get caught up in the vanity numbers? And what do you tell them? What are the ones that you would really, really want them um, to focus on? Yeah, that's just, this is such a great question. So in terms of the vanity numbers, those would be things like your follower count on Instagram or the number of likes on your Facebook page or the number of people in your Facebook group or the tr- even the traffic to your site. And if you're coming from you know, if you're, if you've built up, uh, you've been focusing on building up like an influencer based business, or you've been focusing on building a blog based business, like those are numbers that you've probably been paying attention to, right? Because maybe it affects your, you know, the traffic to your site affects how much money you make from ads or your follower count affects whether or not you can land brand partnerships, um, and, and do sponsored posts, right? So maybe you, that those are the metrics that you've been focused on. But when you're shifting into selling digital offers, you really need to let go of those, that focus, because it's really not, those aren't what's, what are going to drive sales. So the things that we really need to think about as digital product sellers, there's two main numbers. The number one thing is your number of email list subscribers. And with the caveat that a big number is great, but you have to make sure that they are engaged and opening up your emails. So I don't care if you have 100,000 people on your list, if you're getting like a 2% open rate, that ain't good. Like we want to have an engaged email list. So I'd rather you have an email list of you know 3,000 people, but who are opening up and they're, they're your target audience. So Um, your, your email list becomes your, like, this is your golden ticket to a profitable digital product-based business. And it is where like, you do need to have your blinders on to everything else and be so focused on growing that email list. So that's like, you can still work, like work Instagram, use your Facebook group, obviously use Pinterest, like use all of these tools but with the lens of, okay, how do I get people from those places onto my email list? And so it can actually help us gain clarity in terms of what we should be prioritizing as a business owner. So your email list is your, it, that is your, one of your biggest focuses um, that you need to be paying attention to. And then the other metric is conversion rate. And so this trips some people up because this might not be something maybe you've like thought about if you sell products already, maybe you've thought about the conversion rate, like of your sales page, or maybe if you have a landing page with an opt-in, you've seen the word conversion rate of like your landing page, but basically you can take an industry average conversion rate for digital products, which is 2% and really use that to your advantage to be able to actually map out and think about 
predicting the number of sales and therefore the number of revenue that you can expect as a digital product-based business owner with just those two numbers, number of email subscribers and your conversion rate. So the little formula, and people can grab out their like pen and paper if they want, is the number of email subscribers you have times 0.02. So that's that's 2%, 0.02 equals the total number of expected sales. So that's you taking industry standard rates of 2%, timesing it by your email subscriber number. And that's how many sales you can expect to make on, let's say, a given launch of your online course. So let's say you have, you've, you know, collected 500 email subscribers. 2% of 500 are, is 10. So that's 10 sales. So 10 sales, let's say you sell a $100 product. That's a thousand bucks, right? 10 sales of a hundred dollar product is a thousand bucks. So that you have a really clear idea. If you're saying to yourself, okay, I need to make a thousand dollars. There's a formula for you to work from is, which is like, okay, so if I need, if I want to make a thousand dollars of my, and I'm selling a hundred dollar product, I need to get 500 subscribers onto my list in order to meet that. Now you may have a higher conversion rate. Um, and there's lots of things that you can be doing to increase your conversion rate. But it's kind of like a safe formula to use. Does that all make sense? Yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense. In fact, you know, you said whip out your pen and I was actually doing that and making notes about that and writing <laughs> writing it down here. So I've got lots of questions in this. So I would say, let's back up just a little bit for yeah, you. I feel like I get really deep into this. <laughs> no, so no, 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 no. I'd be like, so, okay, where are we? It's so, so good. So I think one of the things that I, I, I'm going to kind of lead us up to this point for you that that you you are the expert in this and you are figuring this out but you even said in the beginning you went from you know the lifestyle into creating your own product and you were like I did it all wrong and I made a few thousand bucks for you in this process of getting to this point where you know you can just spout off all this information like it's you know just flows out of you easily what was your aha along the way and your struggles as you were I guess, you know, realizing, oh, my email list is important, or here's how to get to this formula. Maybe just give us a little bit of the behind the scenes as far as what you were dealing with as you were really struggling through this growth process. Yeah, I think it was just, I am somebody who, like, I can get a bad case of the shiny object syndrome. And like, I see, you know, I love to learn and take courses and so many people talk about different strategies. And so I think my issue was like, I was just trying to do everything, right? I was trying to do all the things right on Instagram. I started a Facebook group. I was trying to do all the things right there. I was trying to go live. I was trying to create blog posts. I was trying to do all these things and build my email list, but without um, without like a singular focus and lens of having the email list be the thing that I really should have been so laser focused on. And when I started to see my email list grow as a result of, you know, several of these strategies I was using, the direct correlation to my income was, was right there. Like it was black and white. Then, you know, the, as my email list subscriber base grew, my sales grew. And so as that became clearer and clearer and clearer, like month over month, you know, year after year, it really gives you a sense of freedom in releasing all of those other strategies that you feel like you had to be doing and all of that overwhelm 
and anxiety around doing them all because I now know as long as I stay focused on these things, my business is successful and I can have, I can make an income and I can make an impact on these people's lives. And I don't need all of those other things. And sometimes I may layer in more things over time as I can, like for, as an example, you know, I've come back to blogging this year and we want to, you know, I want to be publishing more blog content and really getting back to that. But I, you know, I didn't need to do all the things right away, basically. Yeah. Well, and I'm curious too, because you know, you gave us the formula and then you talked about an email list of 500 with 10 sales being the 2% mark. And I feel like in our industry, you hear 10 sales and you immediately go, it's only 10. But I guess, how did you work yourself past that and get over the like, you know, we've all seen the Facebook ads of like make $10,000 in like a, a hot minute, right? So how did you get yourself to a point where you're like, 10 is great. And it, I'll leave it there. Like, how did you, how did you begin to see the small successes as wins instead of the comparison trap or the shiny object? So I think that actually one thing that helped me in the beginning was I started with a higher ticket offer. So my first course, uh, well, that's not true. My very first course was really low because I didn't know anything about pricing. <laughs> but the main, once I, I, I did this like create your blog biz, which I mentioned, and I think I sold it for like, I don't know, $79 or something ridiculous. But then when I, my next course, which was the one that I really learned a lot about like strategy and marketing um, digital offers, I priced it much higher because I knew, I now knew kind of like the, how to create an incredible offer and the value that this course provided. And so it was a $497 offer. So for me, 10 sales of that, that was a lot. That's, that was a lot of money. Like that was no joke. And so I think actually it benefited me to have that higher ticket offer from the very beginning because I could very quickly see traction in my income growth. Um, and then as my email subscriber base grew, then I was able to layer in maybe some like lower ticket offers because I had volume. And I had volume of email subscribers. So it's still, even if it was, um, you know, let's say I got 40 sales or something, but like from those, say, let's say I had 2000 subscribers at that point and 2% of 2000 is 40. And so 40 sales of a hundred dollar product is 4,000. So like, I just was able to have higher volume to, and to this point now, you know, I have like tens of thousands of email subscribers. So the, the ball game is different. But I think if you're somebody who is, needing to make an income quickly from digital offers, I would always go the route of having a higher ticket product because it's easier to make, you know, we know this, it's easier to make 10 sales than it is to make 100 sales. And actually the conversion rates of um, like a 497 product, you, you tend to think, okay, if I'm selling something that's $500, it's going to have a lower conversion rate than something that's $10. But funnily enough, it doesn't work that way. Like the 2% industry standard rate seems to be accurate no matter what the price of your product is. So I would re really recommend having that higher ticket offer be what you're starting out with. And then you can layer in additional things over time as it makes sense. 
Well, and I've talked with a lot of people lately. It's interesting that you bring up the higher ticket versus the lower ticket because we've been talking about the pricing of products and people delivering. And I think some of the people that I talk to, they feel like the higher the price, the more they have to pour out of themselves because they're so afraid that somebody's going to purchase it and they're going to be like, I didn't get the value of what this was. And so I, I see a lot of fear and I see it in myself too. And you also hear about people buying courses that are $2,000 and they're like, it was crap. So I guess, how do you in that, I guess, mental game of pricing, maybe remove that and just go, this is what I'm going to deliver. And this is how I'm going to serve my people, regardless of the price. I think, yeah, it totally makes sense. I think what's so important is to always be so focused on getting your clients or students results. And if that is your main intention and everything you are doing comes back to that, you are going to craft an incredible product because you you are so, that is your you want your your person to have the transformation that your course promises or your membership or whatever it is promises. And the more you can just be laser focused on that, the less in your head you're going to be about, is this enough? Am I? Because it's actually not about people aren't buying your product because you have 50 video lessons as opposed to 15 video lessons. They're buying your product because they want a solution to their problem and they want the transformation that they know is possible that you have showed them is possible. And so as long as you're delivering on that, and it is up to people to put in the work. So like I can lead you to the water, but I can't make you drink it, right? Like you need to, you need to do the work and, and put in the effort. But if I've done everything I can to make those results as available and possible to you, like, and I think once that starts really happening and you start to get students through the door and you start to see the testimonials, like for me, when the testimonials start coming through, that's when any of that like imposter syndrome or fear around pricing or all of those things really start to melt away because you see the incredible difference that it's making in people's lives, whatever the niche. So then do you find that most people that you're working with in your programs, we struggle or not we, because I'm not in the program, but I would say they struggle with underpricing themselves more than overpricing? Yeah, I think um I think most people definitely underprice to start with. And that, you know, it's not to to do your first launch, let's say, and get a bunch of students through the door and to get those testimonials. I don't think that there's anything wrong with starting somewhere and then increasing your price over time. Like, for example, even with my own membership, The Passive Project, I launched that with zero content. There was literally not one lesson in there, but I knew what it was going to be. I had a plan of what I was going to deliver. And that's what I launched with and people trusted me enough and knew me well enough to know that I was going to deliver on what I said I was going to. And so, but I launched it at a low, at a lower price point, a lower monthly price point. And like the good thing for them was they got grandfathered in at that rate. Right. And then over time, as I was able to add more, I was able to not just add more content, but also see where people were struggling and really create the right tools, templates, lessons, to give them the solutions that they needed to to ultimately end up with the 
you know, the business that they wanted to end up in and, and achieve their goals, I was able to increase the price because I could see the transformation happening and those testimonials were flowing in. And that the social proof is so important in terms of crafting an irresistible offer, like when it comes to digital products, because we have an inherent distrust, right? Like this is not something that you're going to get in your Amazon prime order that's going to come to your door and you're actually going to get to like touch it and feel it and see it. This is a digital offer. And so there's a distrust that it is not going to deliver on what it says it's going to. This could be some internet scam. Like I think that's what, this is just somebody who's wanting to get rich quick. Like that's the mentality that we all have when we see a a new digital offer from somebody we don't have a built-in trust or connection with yet. And so the social proof and the testimonials really go to showing them, well, actually, look, the transformation, it happened for me, but it happened for all of these people too. And so the it's far more likely to happen for you too, because look, it happened to, you know, Susie and Jane and Elena over there. Well, and I think that's such a great point for those who are listening who are marketing on Pinterest, because Pinterest users are so cold. They don't know you. They're not interested in a brand or who you are like they would on Instagram. So they are coming onto this page cold. And those stories are really the only thing that you have for them to see, does this really work? Because the Pinterest user is asking, how can you solve my problem? And they're not necessarily going, I want Gemma to solve my problem or Kate to solve it. They're like, I don't care who it is. I just have this problem and someone needs to give me a solution. And so that's such a great takeaway from this is to take your testimonials, put them on that sales page. And I would even say another strategy people could employ for Pinterest marketing would be to put some of those even in the blog post. You know, if you're talking about a specific product that you have or an offer and it's in a blog post and then maybe it leads to a sales page, include them on those as well because Pinterest users like to consume uh, blog posts, which I think that's good for you adding in blogging back into this year. A good tip for you to do is just to add those, pepper them throughout those blog posts. Then people go, oh, that can get results. So we let's we took kind of a tangent there that we hadn't planned on going, but I think it was so good. So I'd like to round it out with, let's say the um, the person is going through the same process that you went through. They've been a blogger for a while. They've been focused on traffic and they're trying to make that leap. What would you tell them as they're growing their email list, that first step to making it important? What piece of advice would you give them to really help them continually focus on the email list growth and maybe any tips or strategies for opt-ins and maybe the way they craft their opt-ins? Yeah, that's a great question. So I mean, the advantage of coming from a blogging background is that you already understand content marketing so well. And so I think there's um, just such a huge advantage if that's the background you're coming from. And you can go and take your existing blog. I would go look at, okay, what are my top 10, 15, 20 posts that are getting the most traffic? And immediately optimize those for email list growth. So put a great lead magnet opt-in at the bottom of each of those posts, but also midway through just to make sure that if people don't scroll all the way to the bottom, they still see the opportunity to get your great freebie. And you don't, here's a mistake I made when I was first doing this, I would go and create like a lead magnet for each blog post. Like that was like related to the blog post topic. And it took way too much time. It made my back end of my email system way too complicated. You don't need to do that. 
think about like what is one incredible lead magnet that is you want to over deliver on the lead magnet like make it so good that they that your reader like there's no way that they are not going to want to opt into that thing right i would rather you have one incredible one than like 5 or 10 kind of not so great like crappy ones right so one really amazing lead magnet that also connects directly to that paid offer so if you know, if you're selling a course or membership or some sort of digital product bundle or something, you want that lead magnet to be getting the exact person for that product. So if you are selling, like, let's just take an example from my own business. If I'm selling my passive project membership, which is specifically for digital product creators who are already selling digital products. So it's not for somebody who's creating a course for the first time. It's for people who are already in the game, but they need to like improve their strategy and their marketing. Well, I have a lead magnet that are funnel blueprints, like email funnel blueprints. Now the, the beginner course creator is not going to download that because they're, it's too beyond their scope, right? They're going to want something that's like a more, I don't know, 20 ideas for your first course or something like that. So for me, I'm getting, I know I'm getting the right people to opt into that lead magnet and then I can sell them on my membership and they're very directly correlated. So what is that for you in your business? What's a lead magnet that is going to be, get exactly the right person on your email list at the right time in their journey? Like they have a pain point. The lead magnet is maybe the first little band-aid solution, but then you've got your larger offer that you're then going to offer them later on inside of your email funnel. That's really going to solve their problem. And then the other last tip I would give in terms of lead magnets that I have found to be true is that the more they can be quick win, extremely tangible things. So less of the, um, I mean, checklists are still okay, but uh, no, like an ebook, I don't see, like in my experience, those haven't been, and in my students' experience, like that, those haven't been what has converted so well. It's often spreadsheets, templates, swipe copy, tools, pl- digital planners, like very usable things are the things that get opted into more often than an ebook that might be like, a, frankly, a little bit overwhelming. Like you want somebody who's going to download this thing and put it into use right away. Oh, such a good tip. I Now I'm like thinking of all the different things that we could do. And I agree with you that in the beginning, when we started growing our email list, we felt like we had to have an opt-in for everything. And then a year later, we were like, half of these aren't even doing anything and they're not even getting people on our list, but five of them are. So why don't we like double down on the five or even the three and focus on that instead of spreading ourselves too thin And it has brought such relief to us and actually continued email growth instead of just spreading ourselves too wide. Absolutely. And if you're somebody who's sitting there in the same situation where you have created multiple lead magnets before, I would encourage you to look at them and think, okay, how can I bundle these? Like if I... If I have already created five things, how could I put these into an even more attractive bundle that's like this incredible... I don't know, a little treasure trove of stuff that's going to make it so much more likely that somebody's going to opt in and just bundle them together, like as long as it makes sense. 
Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay. So I have to ask this question. So how are you currently using Pinterest to focus on this and grow your email list, um, generate more sales? And you know, what are your, I guess, tips and things that you're focusing on right now, even if you're not 100% solid in your strategy, but just hearing how you put Pinterest into play when it comes to all of this? Yeah, I love Pinterest. Um, so I what we're doing currently in our business is we we do have um, with some blog content, although as I alluded to earlier, we're going to be releasing more blog content this year, but we I do also have a podcast and for every single podcast, we create a blog post. So we, for um, every blog, every podcast blog post, we create four pinnable graphics. And then we also just create 10 pin images a month, um, just kind of for all kinds of like everything we talk about sort of thing. So whether that's like to do with, we have pin images that are directly for some of our lead magnets. Um, we have some that are specifically for some of our products, or they might just be about a topic that we've talked about on the podcast. So we're very conscious of creating fresh pinnable content, like images for our, for our Pinterest strategy. And then ultimately those lead to our blog posts or our podcast episodes or our lead magnet landing pages. And the main goal of each of those things is always to get them to opt in. So if you go to any of our pages, it's going to be very clear where you can opt into and to whatever lead magnet might be related to that topic. Um, so that's generally how we're using Pinterest right now. And we use Tailwind to schedule out all of our pins. And uh, yeah, we're, we're, we're on there on the daily. Um, but in terms of like next steps for Pinterest for us, we are excited to dive into using promoted pins for sure this year. We definitely want to explore that. Having used Facebook and Instagram ads for the last 18 months or so and having had good results, uh, we're really excited to kind of expand beyond the Facebook and Instagram ads platform. And then also, I'm just looking forward to getting back to creating more blog content so that one of the mistakes that I made with Pinterest was that I sort of got lazy and sent a lot of, uh, I used a lot of my pin graphics straight to my landing page for my lead magnets that wasn't really long enough or comprehensive enough to have people actually opt in. And they, therefore, they have lower conversion rates than what I'd like to see. And so I'm, you know, just want to go back to this idea of having longer form blog content that provide it provides more value straight away so that it encourages people to opt in for more. Yeah, that's what we've noticed too as well. Even when we ran our promoted pins, we did our image guide, which we ran directly to the opt-in page, which looked more like a sales page. It was longer form. But when we ran it to the blog post, which was connected to the podcast, very similar to what you talk about, and we had higher conversions in that than we did the quote unquote opt-in page, like sales page. And I think that we underestimated the Pinterest user. Like we thought, oh, they just want to get straight to the point. They want to get what they want. But I think when people on Pinterest read articles, they are geared up to read an article. So they want the information and they're willing to work through it. And once they read that article, they go, oh, now I need this image guide. But when it's straight to sales, it's a little harder to get them to jump because they are cold. And they're like, I don't, you know, like I said in the beginning, like, I don't know you. And I don't know what you can offer me. But that blog post is such a great warm up. So I think you adding that back in is really 
a great strategy. And one of the things I've also told people as I've talked to them, we get a lot of clients who come to us who have been very SEO strategic. They're completely optimized when it comes to Google and their next step is Pinterest. And they say to me, like, do I need to write the same long form, like 3000 word posts? I'm like, no, you can definitely write a shorter form article, maybe a thousand words or even 800 for Pinterest users, because it's just, it's different. They consume content differently but they search the same, if that makes sense. They're still looking for a solution to their problem. Yeah. Isn't that interesting how like every time we take a new platform, we really need to think about where, like what the platform has um, gotten people used to, right? Like if we were on Facebook or Instagram sending somebody to an article, like the attention span is so short. They'd be like, oh, yeah, get me out of here. Whereas Pinterest has like, that's how they've groomed their users, right? They've groomed their users to be used to getting these very helpful articles. And so that's where you need to kind of meet people on that platform. And uh, yeah, it's just interesting to like come back to that. Well, I think that also to go off on a little bit of a tangent, that also speaks to the investment that Pinterest can have on your business. Because I know when I use Instagram as just a regular user, you're right. If they send me to an article, my attention span is so small because I'm I'm in the Instagram ecosystem. I'm like, I want my stories. I want my information. I want my bite size. And now you're telling me to go off. And half the time, I don't even know what people's sites look like because I'm so ingrained in Instagram with them. I'm so connected in. But when it comes to Pinterest, I already know I have to go off the platform to really get what I want. So I operate in two different modes of, okay, I'm going to gather all the information that I need onto my boards. I'm going to save it for later. And when I'm ready to take action, I go to that board and I move off of it to find what I want. In fact, one of the number one frustrations of a Pinterest user is that they go to the pin and it leads nowhere. They're like, ah, I can't get what I want. And it's so annoying. And we've heard that even from Pinterest too, that that, that is one of their pinner's biggest complaints is that it's a dead link. And they're so annoyed because they can't get the what they want. So we really think about that. We're like, that's gold for us. Oh, absolutely. We are, you know, like we're moving the people off instead of sitting in Instagram. And you talked about it in the beginning, the ROI piece, like where's the greatest investment into my business? And is it into these platforms that quote unquote, our vanity metrics are make me feel good? Or is it in these places where I'm actually seeing people take action? Yeah. And building for the long term. Like, I'm sure you've talked about this a lot on your podcast, but just the, you know, with pin, with um, Instagram or Facebook, like those things disappear, your posts disappear within 24 hours, and you're not really building a legacy machine that's just going to keep working for you. Whereas that is what you're doing when it comes to Pinterest, or when it comes to, you know, Google SEO, or even building up a YouTube channel, like those types of evergreen content systems are so much more valuable for the long game. Yes, absolutely. I have loved our conversation. Thank you so much for talking with us about these important things for digital product sellers with even some more tips for the rest of us who might not be there yet. So where can people go to connect with you, follow along and see what you're doing? Yeah. So come, uh, we've just been blasting Instagram a little bit, but come follow me over there. Come follow me, send me a DM. Let me know what you uh, got out of this episode. I'd love to hear from you. But the two 
the two big things that I'd love to mention is that I do have a rapid email list building guide that is one of our most popular downloads. And it's all about uh, the strategies you can be using to grow your email list, which is something we talked about a lot today. So that can be found at gemmabottomcarter.com forward slash list growth. And then if you happen to be already selling an online course or membership or some sort of digital product, and you want some help with your marketing and strategies and just to grow your sales, I have a free class. Um, It's a 60 minute super jam packed class where I talk you through some of my biggest tips and tricks when it comes to growing your digital product based business. And so you can find that at gemmabottomcarter.com forward slash class. Nice. Thank you so much for those helpful resources. And we will link to all of those in the show notes in the blog post, which will be at simplepinmedia.com slash 189. And yes, we did kind of trash a little bit on Instagram. But what we do like is that we get to connect with you. And the joke is always that Pinterest is the introverts platform and nobody likes being talked to. So the next best place you can do it is on Instagram. So yes, definitely um, share takeaways to you from this episode. There's been a lot that I've taken away already, especially the formula that was so good so we will put that in the blog post as well again you can find those at simplepinmedia.com slash 189 thanks again Gemma so much for sharing all your wisdom and your tips and your everything it was so great thank you thank you so much for having me 